Well, if it's not, it's not. We'll, we'll just go with that. Dave started our service off so well this morning uh, with our scripture reading. We've been doing those readings where uh, we read different, I don't even put the scriptures in the page. You just kind of randomly uh, collect a bunch of verses that talk about that theme. And the theme this morning is hope. And uh, Dave started off so well by reminding us that the hope of the Bible is not the hope of the world. Um, it's about this time of year that everyone always says the hopes of Lions fans are dashed again because, you know, like they, they're putting these, whether it be a hope of a sporting event or maybe a hope, hope we have good weather, uh, hope we have, you're always, you're always hoping for something in the future, but the hope of the world is always a question mark with it. It's always, it's almost like if we could just quickly and very easily distinguish between the hope of the world and the hope of what the Bible talks about, the hope of the world would be hope with a question mark at the end, and the hope of the Bible would be a hope with a period. Does that make sense? Like, it's, it's always in doubt, and there's maybe a 50-50 chance, right, of, of what will come. I mean, on Monday night, our family, at least, is thinking, we hope we have a snow day tomorrow, and came true. Okay, then, then sometimes you'll say that, and, and the, the list isn't, the school isn't on the list. With the hope of Scripture, all those verses that we read, in fact, you could glance again at it in the program, uh, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. He has begotten us to a living hope. Let us hold the confession of our hope. I will hope in the Lord. Uh, all those verses are meant to mean a confident expectation. That's what the word hope throughout the Bible means. But I almost found a better, uh, that's always what we've said, confident expectation, confident expectation. That's always what we've said when we've talked about the definition of the word hope. But I think I, I found an even better definition as I, in the study this week, and I'll give that to you in just a minute. One thing about hope we always have to recognize is hope is always for something that is to come. Hope is always in the future. The Bible talks about this. I know we're in Isaiah 35. Listen to Romans 8 23 to 25. This is in the context, Romans 8, of course, a beautiful chapter in the Bible, begins with a no condemnation, ends with no separation, but in the middle there's all this suffering. And in Romans 8, verse 23, there is this passage that even the creation is looking ahead to its final full redemption. Um, I mean, I may be wrong about this, and someone joked last Sunday night that I seem to step to the side of the podium a lot. But wouldn't you agree to me? Wouldn't you agree with me that fall is only in a season because of sin? I mean, right? Leaves dying. I mean, even the trees, in a sense, dying every year. No, they're not fully dying, but the leaves dying and falling is a reminder to us that even creation has been cursed. Even though the leaves are beautiful, at least on the trees, <laughs> on the ground becomes a little more of a trouble. But it, it, this talks about in Romans 8 with the creation. Not only the creation is groaning, but we too are groaning, this is the verse now, as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, which is the redemption of our bodies. For in this, here's our word, hope, we're saved. Now here's what I'm trying to get at when hope is always a future thing. Here's what the Bible says. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Imagine yourself driving, trying to give some illustration so we understand this. I think you do. Driving to a Thanksgiving meal and saying, I hope they made apple pie. And when you get there and you see the apple pie, you no longer need to hope because you see. Hope is only for things that are unseen. Hope is always future. Hope is always unseen. And so the great hope of the believer is what I'm going to share with you out of Isaiah 35. 
Hope describes this, and, and this, is, this is why I kind of like this definition better than even confident expectation, though I like that. Here's, here's something I read. Hope is the happy anticipation of good. That's good too. Both are good. Because you could be confidently expect, you could have a confident expectation of something negative, <laughs> right? I had a dentist appointment this week, sad to say I couldn't cancel it. That's, I don't know why I always, I'm glad Fred's not here today, but when I always think about something bad, I think about the dentist. But the, you could have an expectation of something in the future that is bad, but with hope, it's always in relationship to something in the future that is good. That's why a great definition. It is a happy anticipation of good. We can almost combine both definitions and say it is a happy and confident expectation that something good is coming. Isn't that good? That's a great definition of hope. First, our Titus chapter 1, verse 2. We have hope of eternal life. 1 Peter 1, 21. Uh, we are believers in God who raised up Jesus from the dead and gave him glory, so your faith and hope are in God. Now, hope defined is really that what we're making it there. It's a happy and confident expectation of something good that is going to come to me in the future. But what is this hope based on? And what is our hope fixed on? Let's ask these two questions. This is still just introducing before we even get to Isaiah 35. What is our hope based on? And what is our hope fixed on? The answer to both questions is the same answer. Okay? What is our hope based on? In other words, how do we know this confident expectation and happy expectation of good will come? And then what is it fixed on? What are we, what are we focused on while we're hoping for that future thing? The answer to both things is what? Christ, yes, it's Jesus. Listen to the verses. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember when we started this series on promises, I took you to the passage in Corinthians where it says, all of the promises of God are yes in Christ, right? All of the promises of God are yes in Christ. In other words, anything that God says, Jesus is the basis for the fulfillment of it. God offers us hope of eternal life, well, Christ provided it. And Christ is the answer to all, is the yes answer to all of the promises of God. But we also fix our hope on Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Now, hope is connected to a lot of different things in the Bible. Specifically, Paul uses it more than anybody uh, in his letters and in his different sermons. Uh, here's some of the phrases that are connected with hope. And we even heard one of them in our uh, video today on Paul in Sunday school uh, when he talks about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's what he told the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's what made them all mad, a little joke there. Sad, you see. That's an easy way to remember it, though. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. But he used that, the hope of the resurrection. He uses the phrase, the hope of the promise of God. He uses the phrase, the hope of righteousness, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the glory of God. And then maybe most well-known to us from Titus, he talks about the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So just to introduce so far, definition of hope, it's always something future. It's a happy, confident expectation of something good in my future that is based on Christ. My hope is fixed on Christ now, with all that being said, let's begin in Isaiah 35. God promises, what we're talking about, you know, we've talked about the different promises of God. What God promises to believers is that there will be good in your future. Isn't that phenomenal to know that? That is so great. 
There will be good in our future. Now, we're not talking prosperity stuff. Everybody understands that. We're talking about like the eternal future. But it's, it's more than just saying uh, a word of a pep talk that an unbeliever might say to a person who's discouraged, hey, hang in there. Uh, it'll get better. I mean, they, 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 that's the hope with a question mark because they're talking about earthly things that may or may not get better, right? Uh, I've visited the hospital thousands of times with people who are sick or dying, and I've never said to them, hey, it'll get better. I don't know if it's going to get better. I, don't, I can't say to the person who's laying there having had a heart attack or has cancer or some sort of major problem that give them a punch in the arm and say it'll get better because we don't know that. But we do have the eternal hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know it's given to a different people, but the principle is clear that God knows the plans he has for us. Uh, I'm going to have to take this out. This is really bugging me. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That was written to people who were, who were really uh, struggling and discouraged, the people of Israel. And God says, I have a special future for you. He says that to us as believers too that there is a hope for us. Now, what is the greatest hope of the believer in the future? You should be able to answer this question, even though we've read it in Isaiah 35. What is your greatest hope for the future? Heaven, or that Christ will come. We combine those both together, right? It's that Christ will come. Either Christ will come and take me in death, and I'll go to heaven, or that Christ is going to come, and he's going he's to finally and fully set up his kingdom. Both New Testament and Old Testament both relate this to the hope. It is the sure return of Christ. It is not hope with a question mark. It is a happy and full expectation that's going to happen to right all wrongs and receive us into his presence. Here's a passage from Psalm and then a more familiar passage from John. Just listen. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, doors. The King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. The King of glory will come in. And then even more specifically, and I said more well-known to you, John 14, do not let your heart be troubled or agitated is the word stirred up. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So where I am, you may be also. This is going to be a promise down the road. It may be next week or two weeks. I haven't put the order together yet. The promise of his presence. That's, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will come and, and you may be there too. The promise of God's presence is the greatest promise really of all, that he will be with us. Uh, this week when Jessa is uh, taking her sled over to this little hill and, and I'm shoveling the wet, heavy snow and she's going down the hill, what is she saying to me as she's going down the hill? You know what she's saying to me. What is she saying? Watch me, watch me, watch me. It, it's, it's a fun experience, but it's made more enjoyable with the presence of someone that she loves. And, and here's what Christians understand, that heaven is only going to be glorious because the presence of God is going to be there. Uh, unbelievers look forward to heaven in the afterlife, and we've said this many, many times, because they can play poker with all their buddies, or they can golf the greatest course in the world, right? and, and whatever they indulge in here, they'll indulge in there. But we are looking forward to heaven, not for streets of gold, not because the cancer will be gone, not even because of reunion with past relatives. We want to see Christ and be in his presence. And that's the joy. When he says, don't be troubled in John 14, the trouble is coming because he was going away. And the promise of hope is that he will come back and be with us. Isaiah 35. 
You've got it open there, right? Now, we read it already, and rather than give us all the context, I just want to take some principles out, And uh, starting in verse number 3. I know that moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas is going to be very difficult for some of you. Um, and, and we're so small, and, and everybody knows what we're talking about. I know it's going to be difficult for you, Tony and Karen. I know it's going to be difficult for you, Dave. I know it's going to be difficult for us in these holiday things, right? So is there encouragement for us and others of you who are struggling? Is there discouragement for you when you're facing a time of the season that is special because of the presence of loved ones, and now those loved ones are not with us? Or whatever other discouragements may be facing. I don't mean to just focus on those major, major things. All of us have those types of things we're facing. So is there hope? Like, and, and we're not the only people in the world who have struggled with things this year, right? I mean, it's been a trying time for, for many, many people. And putting something on the visa on Amazon is not going to bring that hope that is expected. Or drinking ourselves to death at a Christmas party is not going to solve the problems that people are facing, whether it be economic or job worries or family situations or whether it be an untold battle that no one else knows about. I would say that in all flocks around the country this morning where pastors are preaching, there are wounded sheep. There are people who are hurting and discouraged. Just like Job has said, man is born to trouble just like sparks fly upward. It's, it's, trouble is going to come. So is there hope for you? That's what I want to provide today through God's Word. I don't have any hope to give you. I don't mean I'm going to provide the hope. I mean I hope that the Word of God provides that. Verse 3, here's the description of these people. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe you have had a difficult situation. We all have. Strengthen the weak hands. Make, the, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. There's three descriptive terms there, right? And they all kind of relate physically, but they're meant to be symbolic. Okay, let's, let's talk about it real quick. What are the three? Can you point to three? What are the three, uh, three situations? What are the three physical? Okay, you got weak hands, then you got somebody else? Feeble knees, then you got what else? Anxious heart. Let's talk about all three of those things and what they refer to. Obviously, it doesn't mean people are physically weak, need, or physically feeble. Weak hands. This is the idea that you feel a lack of vigor or strength or power. Um. You're worn out, frail. In fact, the New International Version, if anybody has a New International Version, it means drooping hands or a helpless feeling. And this helpless feeling is often induced or brought about by some sort of fear. We might, um, we might the, the, the best maybe that could translate to an English idiom would be like to throw up your hands. Like, you know, what, what's, what am I to do? That, that's kind of the idea. Weak hands. Like, there, there's been such difficulty, I just don't have the strength or energy to cope or manage with this situation that is before me. Feeble knees. Now, we have somebody with real feeble knees today, right? I mean, we're not talking about people who've slipped on the ice or anything. Uh, but it means, it, just like when you came in, you're actually, you actually physically displayed what this verse means. It means to totter and to stumble. That's pretty much what you did coming in. That you have feeble knees, but, but it obviously doesn't mean that. It's used literally of individuals who feel fallen. And it's often used in the Bible of cities that have fallen by other nations, by the sword. And people can fall and fail by evil, wickedness, sinfulness. The idea of being weak or overthrown. 
So both these ideas have a very similar thing, that weak hands is more of lack of strength, feeble knees. I feel I'm, I've, been, I've been, it's like the boxer who's been, you know, punched real hard and he's, he's wobbly. Maybe you feel that way. Not, not physically, of course. And the third is an anxious, or in some translations, depending on what you have in your hands, it uses the word fearful heart. The word anxious is the idea of doing something in a hurry, being very quick, but it really just means to be agitated or to have a racing heart, a nervousness, an anxiety. It's used throughout the Bible of all kinds of different situations uh, uh, to indicate rash counsel or headlong advice, jumping into a situation too quickly, but the idea really is racing, racing heart, agitated heart. So think about these three things, like out of strength, staggering, almost toppled, nervous, anxiety, racing. Each of these areas describes discouraged, hurting, inactive, worried, fearful, hopeless people. So what is the exhortation that is given to these folks? Say to these people, maybe this is you, verse 4, say to those who have this anxious heart, be strong, don't fear. There's the exhortation. Be strong, don't fear. Now, don't read on yet. I know you already did, and that's okay, but just pretend this is all we're going to talk about so far. Be strong, fear not. I think very, uh, I, I associate that phrase most clearly with an Old Testament figure. Do you? Be strong, don't fear. Who do you, who do you equate that with? Who was told that back? Yeah, Joshua. That, don't you equate, whenever you hear that, you think to Joshua, who has just been given command of these million grumbling, complaining Israelites who've shown Moses no loyalty. Now, Joshua, you're taking over, and you're actually going to be the one that goes into the land and conquers these evil Canaanites. And in Joshua 1, 9, be strong and have a good courage. Okay? Strength, courage, boldness, uh, uh, the idea of patting on the back and getting, be- getting better, it'll get better, is not what's in view here. Can you imagine Moses as he's going off to Mount Nebo to croak because God punished him and he's going to die, he's not going to be allowed into the promised land, and he just kind of taps Moses on, or Joshua on the shoulder, well, it'll be okay, I'm sure it'll be fine, it'll, you'll do great. Like, and, and that's kind of the feeling you get if you don't, that's why I said don't read on in Isaiah 35, because like I have weak hands, I have feeble knees, I have an anxious heart, I have so much nervousness and fear. Be strong, don't fear. It sounds trite when you just say that, right? What is that based upon? What is having courage based on? What is not fearing based on? Is it just based on the idea that, well, just, just try not to think about those things or just imagine your life better? Don't you hate it when people say, close your eyes and imagine? You know, like this, it's all this nonsense. That's why you read on. Where is the comfort? Be strong, don't fear, because your God will what? Your God will, starts with a C, come. Your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. The, the hope, okay, the hope without the question mark, is in the, the exhortation is, yes, be strong, you weak people. Be strong, discouraged and troubled heart. But it's not just a, a be strong in a vacuum. It's be strong because God is going to come. Think about Joshua. It's not just be strong in a vacuum. It's be strong and be very courageous for the Lord your God is what? With you, wherever you go. 
Right? It's not just, you'll be okay, Joshua. And this is why presence and, and hope go so quickly to get closely together and why I've already mentioned that. The, 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 the hope is that God will come and save us. Now, we're moving real closely uh, to our celebration of Advent. And when we think about the coming of Christ, we think about his two comings. One happened, one not yet. Um, he did come once already to deliver us. Uh, his death on the cross delivers us from, from our sins because the sinless Savior died. Our souls can be counted free. And that's, that's excellent. He has delivered us spiritually, and, and the hope is that He would come and deliver us fully and finally, That just like I read out of, what was it, Romans 8 this morning, the idea that we groan for this and wait eagerly for the adoption and the redemption of our physical bodies. This encouragement, this coming is what is made to bolster our faith. It is, it is His soon return that He will come and deliver. He will come and recompense. He will come and save us. And thinking about that should change our hands, knees, and hearts into other things. Let me, let me kind of walk us through that real quick. Our weak hands should become active. Our feeble knees should get us praying. Our racing heart should be changed to confident assurance. When we start, like when we raise up our hands and we say, I don't have the strength anymore, the strength doesn't come from kind of mustering up the willpower to, to even some, for some get through the day because it's so discouraging. The, the strength comes from thinking, no, God, God will come. God eventually, the hope is real. And our anxious hearts will be assured. God's word is meant to be an encouragement. And this idea of him coming is powerful throughout the scriptures. When we think that God is too far away and that we cannot reach him, the answer is that he will come. He has made the move. Now what will this kingdom be like? Let's talk about this just for a few minutes. Be done. Strengthen weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong if you're not, because your God is coming. Now, in, in this particular context, it's that he's going to come and rescue the nation of Israel. And then it starts talking about this great blessing when the judgment of God finally comes and the kingdom is set up. Verses 5 and following is, what, is what's being described. This is that future kingdom that is going to be set up by God. What will it look like? Okay, this is verse 5. This is how it will look. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Lame people will leap like a deer. The mute will sing. Waters will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, burning sands, pools, thirsty ground waters, jackals will lie down, grass, reeds, and rushes. A highway will be there called the way of holiness. No unclean will be there. We understand that. It will belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they will not go astray. No lions, no ravenous beasts, no fears. Redeemed will walk there. There will be joy, singing, gladness, sorrow, sighing, flee away. Doesn't that all sound good? No, that's not a question mark. That, that is the confident and happy expectation of our future. Yes, it is the nation of Israel's future. We have been grafted into that as well. The comparison between 34 and judgment and barrenness to verse 35 if you, if you read 34, which is a very long chapter and it's not meant to be a study in Isaiah, but 34 is talking about the judgment of God on the evil nations. 
Now, what is the sudden change from 34 to 35? Why all of a sudden is there water breaking forth and streams in the desert and sands become oases and so forth and animals become pleasant and easy to live with? The change is the presence of God. When God comes, he changes everything. What joy and blessing is what always marks the presence of God. In fact, we looked at that when we looked at Psalm 16 a couple weeks ago and you come to the very end of it when it says, you have shown to me the path of life and uh, uh, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I'm delighting in that presence of God. That's Psalm 16. But when we keep God at arm's length, there is desolation. When we welcome his presence, there is blessing. That's a real interesting thought, and I mentioned it this morning in Sunday school about those who reject God and think that somehow they are living in, um, they're living in freedom. I saw a kind of a horrific advertisement yesterday um, based on the perversions that exist in our culture so prevalently and uh, things I would have never imagined seeing years ago being promoted on television and stuff. And the, the, it's interesting that uh, the word that the culture has chosen to, uh, to emphasize this perversion is, is pride. Um, and the ad, uh, this is not a message about that, but the ad at the very end said uh, that pride is when you let people live freely like they want to. Um, and, and the comment made by a Christian, I, I saw this online, the comment made by a Christian was that it's pity when we see people choosing to live in that bondage. Is, is, this, is the, this is the difference is that, that when, and, and the picture here is of the beauty of the, of the physical infirmities being healed and of, the, of people and then the physical infirmities of the world being healed in a sense. And, and people look at Christians like us who wake up early and come to Sunday school and give our whole day to Christ as being, we, we are the people in bondage. Right? We are the zombies who are following our leader kind of mindlessly. And, and we have the freedom, talking about the world at large, we have the freedom to live in whatever way we want to because, you know, and, and that's the choice that the world makes when what they're really choosing is bondage. When they keep God away from their lives, there is no blessing. Keeping God away from your lives is what Isaiah 34 is all about, the judgment and vengeance that comes. 35 is what happens when God is welcomed, when his presence is welcomed. There's joy and blessing and gladness and, and healing and all of this, especially in the future. Uh, it, just, it just is a sad, sad commentary when, and, and Leah was talking to me about something that she was watching regarding atheists as well or the Ronald Reagan thing, the, the idea, the arrogance of shaking your fist at God when all God wants to do is come and bless this person. And just by receiving him, the blessing that we're just mentioning here is all theirs. But it, just like we talked about in Sunday school, it all kind of links together the opposition towards the gospel of Christ. We do not want to be told what to do. We think freedom and we think blessing is when we eliminate God from our lives instead of when we welcome him. God wants to turn the desolate and discouraged heart into places of abundance. In fact, the indications that the kingdom is coming is there are two great figures that are used here to indicate the restoration, even that Romans 8 is looking forward to. Romans 8 is looking forward to the redemption of its own creation, just like we are, our own physical bodies, as they decay and grow old. We want God to redeem us physically. Here's what he does. He restores 
uh, those who are infirmed, that's figure number one, and then he restores the earth which is diseased, figure number two. Both of these illustrations would be very well known to Hebrews, uh, the idea of Jewish individuals. When, when we talk about blessing in a Jewish context, it's all about physical infirmities being healed and the earth being restored to its original beauty. You, you think about people like, uh, who was the guy in, uh, in uh, 2 Samuel? Uh, Mephibosheth, who's carried out by the nurse and is dropped and is brought to the king's table. This sick one is brought to the king's table and is allowed to eat the king's food. The infirmed are brought into the kingdom. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 6, talks about the land being barren. John 9, verse 2, the man who was born blind, the disciples say, hey, who has sinned? Right? Sin, sin has brought about the infirmities of people. Sin has put its curse, God has cursed the world because of sin. And when God comes, all those things will be righted again. Some of you have faced death even in these last few months. And as a result of sin, have had to walk through those very difficult moments. Well, God eventually is going to restore all that stuff so that none of that is in existence. The dead will be raised, the earth will be restored, and we will live in his very presence. That is the promise of hope that God offers only for believers. For those who are unbelievers and think they're living in freedom, like I just said, will actually be... I, 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 I shudder to think about a man saying, I'm not afraid to live in, to burn in hell. I, 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 the arrogance and the, and, and the indifference there is, is pretty staggering. Now, verse 5, 6, and 7, what's beautiful is when Jesus first came, some of this stuff started to happen. Almost like Jesus was whetting our appetites for what would happen fully in the kingdom, right? When Jesus came, blind eyes were open, verse 5. Deer, uh, I keep saying deer. Uh, deaf ears were, stop, were unstopped. Uh, Jesus started healing people and kind of giving a foretaste of what the ultimate kingdom would be like. Individuals will finally listen to his guidance. They will see and honor his glory. Even in Acts, that, starts, that keeps happening. Here's a beautiful finish to this. We're just, just about done here. Verse 8, here, here's how it concludes this kingdom. And, and again, this is, this is supposed to provide the hope. So, so let's, before we read this last part, let's connect it one more time. So if you're discouraged with weak knees, weak hands, feeble knees, and an anxious heart, the encouragement is, hey, stay strong and take courage. But it's not an empty courage. It's stay strong, take courage, because God is going to come and make everything right. And that's the hope. That's the promise that God gives. That, if I could summarize it just in a sentence or two, that's it. But here's, here's another beautiful thing. Verse 8, the highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not pass on it. It will only belong to those who walk on the way. There will be safety in the kingdom when we want to travel to Jerusalem where Jesus will be reigning. There will be no threat. The redeemed going back to Jerusalem, Christ himself our leader. How many highways are there? One. There is one highway called the way of holiness. This is symbolic, of course, Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, when it says, Enter at the straight gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in. And straight is the gate and narrows the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it. And you, you think about this, the, the very aspect of the kingdom is the reason people hate it and the reason they won't get in it. Because there's one safe way to enter into the presence of God. And it is through Jesus, John 14, 6. What this gives us here in Isaiah 35 is a picture of all the people in the kingdom who belong to Jesus and they come safely and security that on the road that leads to his presence. 
Now that's a real hope. Right? That is not a hope that says, hey, things will get better. The hope is that there is coming a time when Christ is going to right all things and when we want to walk into his presence, what unclean opposer will be there? None. They're gone. Rightfully punished. <laughs> and we walk in presence and safety and securely on the road that leads to his presence with all other believers that have made this same decision. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Which is not meant to make light of the different trials that all of us are facing. They're deep and real and serious. And they cause these type of effects in our life. This fearfulness and anxiety. But the point is, in view of the hope that is coming, we can endure and be strong in those trials. It finishes up with this great singing and joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will all flee away. You probably, have, you probably have it memorized, but just to conclude, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely. I mean, when you were a kid, when you were a kid, maybe you thought like this lady named Shirley Goodness was going to be following you. I, it's, it, but the, the point is, surely or truly, again, no question mark, no question mark, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is a hope. And that is a promise, and what God says will be true. This is the hope that strengthens and gives courage. There is no other hope. Now, you can hope in other things. Uh, it, will not give, it will not give the confidence and, and encouragement that this hope will give. All sorrow, all flying shall, sighing shall flee away. And what's amazing is that just as sure as we're in this room together, we'll walk on that road and see one another from afar and be like, Remember, we talked about this, and here we go, and isn't that crazy? It's crazy, but it will be the case, and what a hope, huh? What a hope. Father, thank you so much. I hope it's been encouraging. I, 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 it's just your word. It's I, Anything that I've said, may it quickly be forgotten, but if it's something that was your word and, and meaningful and helpful for discouraged and weak in here today, and I care so much about these folks, I love them, and I want them to be encouraged. Not, not just a happy smile that forgets all the trials that are going on, but a, but a real confidence that in the future you're going to fix it all. What a hope this is for us, God. And one day when we see each other on this way and we're rejoicing in your presence, what, all these sorrows will be forgotten. But again, it doesn't make these difficulties uh, any easier to bear now, so... Please encourage the hurting in this congregation with these truths today and uh, use this to, to help them to carry on in the midst of some very hard things. We look forward to the day when you'll right all wrongs. Maybe it would even be today. God, we just rejoice if, if Christ would return and, and make it all right and sit in the throne which he deserves. Help us until that time to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.